Good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Good? <laughs> I get the, the privilege of sharing a word with you that the Lord has laid on my heart, uh, so I'm excited about that. And we're going to have a great time. We're going to pause our current series, The Glory of God, and instead we're going to uh, take this morning and look at the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll even have a, a little visual at the end for us, so I look forward to that as well. Um, before we jump in, I'm going to ask you to, to, to pray with, with me as well. I know we've already had a couple of people praying, but is there such a thing as too much prayer? No, absolutely not. So please pray with me, asking the Lord to, to bless this morning. Oh, Father, thank you for today, Lord. Lord, there are so many things to be thankful for, and there are so many things to be praying for. Father, open up our eyes, our, our ears, our hearts to you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would shut my brain down, <laughs> that you would silence my lips. And Lord, that you would speak to us all this morning through your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 as we examine the armor of God in verses 10 through 20. And while you're turning there, I'm going to provide a little bit of context for us because I know not everyone is familiar with the author uh, and, and what's going on here, but many of us are familiar with the Apostle Paul, the author of Ephesians, and probably know that he was even incarcerated on three separate occasions, all of which were for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before Paul was spreading that gospel, he was a high-ranking Pharisee in charge of persecuting those following Jesus Christ. Paul is personally responsible for thousands of deaths. He was a vicious man. He knew the Old Testament scriptures far better than most, and he used that knowledge to literally seek and destroy believers. But by the grace of God... Paul had an encounter with the Lord that literally changed his life forever, turning him into one of the pillars of the Christian church today. After his conversion, Paul set out to spread the gospel wherever he could. The very man who was burning down churches and murdering Christians is now responsible for building and starting some of the most prominent churches in all of the New Testament. And one of those churches is the church of Ephesus, located today in Turkey. This image you see is believed to be that very church. And Paul's story didn't just stop there. In prison, three different times, he faithfully wrote to people and to churches. We call these the prison epistles. And this letter to the Ephesians, this prison epistle, Paul wrote during his first imprisonment while in Rome. And it deals with spiritual warfare. See, Paul, he was, he was attacked by Satan. He lived a life with no spiritual armor. He followed the prince of darkness. So it's no wonder that when he received the armor of God, when, he, when his eyes were open, that he felt the need, the urge, to write this letter to the Ephesians to, to tell them all the things that he had gone through and to be aware uh, so the Holy Spirit, he led Paul to, to write this deep and powerful letter that still applies to us today. Amen. 
In the first two chapters of Ephesians, Paul encourages the church. He, he's telling them that they are redeemed in Christ. They are inheritors in Christ. They have new life in Christ. They are unified in Christ. And that goes on. He goes into to chapter 5, sharing God's standards for faithful, faithfulness within the church, to walk in love, to live in light, to walk in wisdom and sobriety, to be filled with the Spirit of the Lord. It said that chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians describe a true Christian, while chapters 4 through 6 describe the faithful life of a Christian. And it's in that sixth chapter that we come to our text, The Armor of God. I invite you to stand with me this morning as we read the Word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You may be seated. I can't tell you how many lessons and sermons I've heard on this very text, and yet in my study for this sermon, I was able to learn so much that I never knew before, and it's my hope that you leave here this morning in more awe of God than when you first came in. Now, I want you to notice, take a look at, at verse 11 first. Um, Paul uses that phrase, put on. In the, in the Greek, this phrase literally means to sink in. It's the idea of putting something on permanently. You're sinking into it, and it's not coming off. So he's conveying the urgency of putting something on in a permanent manner. As believers, we must be ready for Satan's attacks, which means putting on the full armor of God and never taking it off. And we start with the belt of truth. In verse 14, this is the first piece that Paul is telling us to put on, the belt of truth. He says, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. A more literal translation will read, having girded your loins with truth. See, the Roman soldiers, they wore these large tunics that were they just draped very loosely over uh, the soldier. And, and so what happened was, it was their outer garment. So what happened was, uh, they had to meticulously tuck it up under their leather belt. They had to gird their loins. 
So in preparation for leaving Egypt, God instructs Moses to tell them in Hebrews 12.11, Now you shall eat in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. Concerning his own second coming, Jesus says in Luke 12.35, Be dressed in readiness. Literally, have your learns goited, girded. First Peter 1.3 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. The literal translation of that is, gird up the loins of your minds. Keep sober in spirit. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, the, the belt is an essential part to the soldier's uniform, allowing them to quickly and meticulously gird up their loins in an instant to be ready for battle. The belt of truth, a circular object with no beginning or end, holds all things together. One of my study Bibles says this, Girding up was a manner of pulling in the loose ends as preparation for battle. The belt that pulls all the spiritual loose ends is truth. Everything that hinders then is tucked away. So scripture, God's truth, holds all of our loose things together, right? Keeping us ready for battle. The second piece we have is the breastplate of righteousness. Another essential part to the soldier's uniform. In biblical days, they were made with heavy material, uh, and they would often sew on hard objects like horns or hooves of animals and extra layers of leather for optimal protection. It covered the soldier's entire torso. His job is to protect the heart, the lungs, and the rest of the organs. Even today, when our soldiers deploy, they're given uh, these, these, these breastplates that go in the front and the back of their battle gear, protecting their torso and their organs. Now, what I didn't realize before was that the ancient Jews believed uh, that the heart represents one's mind and will, while the bowels represented one's emotions and feelings. I thought that was interesting because it is the mind and the emotions that Satan attacks and uses. And there are well over 100 verses that speak to that directly, and here are just a few. Since righteousness or holiness is the essence of God's being, it is not hard then to understand why Paul is urging and reminding us as Christians to protect ourselves against Satan's desires. Satan much rather us be clothed in self-righteousness than have on the breastplate of God's righteousness. Satan attacks the mind. He uses emotions to pervert and distort the true righteousness of God. The breastplate of righteousness, as Paul puts it, is living a life of obedience according to the word of God, not the distorted and perverted word of man that seems to be flooding our culture today. The next piece we have is the shoes. The gospel, the shoes of peace, in verse 15. About two months ago, I took my youngest daughter to get a new pair of cleats for soccer. 
We walked into the store. It took us about 30 minutes to find the soccer cleats uh, in, in the store because there were shoes for every occasion imaginable in this place. There were tennis shoes, but not just tennis shoes. There were tennis shoes to play on a clay court versus a concrete court versus a grass court. There were uh, football cleats for to play on turf versus grass. There was basketball shoes for a wooden court versus concrete court versus blacktop. There were dress shoes, leisure shoes, sneakers, converse, work shoes, work boots, snow boots, walking shoes, running shoes, weightlifting shoes. The, the options were just limitless. Obviously, these Roman soldiers didn't have the footwear like we do today. So instead, they took nails and little sharp uh, objects uh, like metals, and they, they embedded them to the bottom of their shoes, giving them the traction they needed to stand firm in fighting their battles. The spiritual footwear for Christians, another essential part to the uniform, is there, but as Christians, we only have one shoe that we need. There's only one type of footwear. It is the shoe of the gospel. See, Paul is telling us as Christians who are in constant state of spiritual warfare, must stand firm in our faith, having the gospel of Jesus Christ as our ultimate foundation, the cornerstone. The shoes being the gospel, the the very reason that Paul is locked up in, in prison writing this letter in the first place, is important for our warfare against the schemes of Satan and his minions. See, if a, if a soldier girded his loins, if he put on the breastplate of righteousness, but he failed to have his shoes on the gospel of peace, then he is unprepared. He is not at peace at all. I think we can all agree this world does not bring us peace. But church, when our feet are in the shoes of the gospel of peace, we can stand firm knowing with confidence that God is committed to fighting with us. There is hope, there is love, there is confidence, and there is peace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to ask yourselves this morning, truthfully, really dig into this and ask yourself, are my loins girded to the belt of truth? Is my heart, are my lungs, are my organs protected with the breastplate of God's righteousness? Am I prepared? Am I standing firm in the foundation of the gospel that brings all peace? We move on now to verse 16, the shield of faith. Now, the average Roman soldier carried a, a shield that was uh, about two and a half feet wide, about four and a half feet tall. It's about three inches thick, made of wood. It weighed, weighed roughly 22 pounds or 10 kilograms. It was big, it was heavy, it was oblong, and it was awkward to carry. But just like everything else, the shield was essential for battle. The shield was strong, it was dependable, it was nearly impenetrable. It covered and protected the entire body, especially when those flaming arrows came pouring down by the enemy. Those flaming arrows in this scripture represent temptations. 
And it's the shield of faith that protects us from the enemy's flaming arrows of temptation that come flying toward us at high velocity. It was common for them to dip their arrows in an oil and light them on fire and release them by the thousands. And the hope was that one of those arrows would stick into that wooden shield, catching it on fire, forcing the soldier to abandon it, hoping that the next arrow would strike that deadly blow. Satan showers us with temptations, hoping that something will stick, forcing us to abandon our shield of faith, hoping that the next temptation will strike that deadly blow, leading us into a life of sin. This is what Paul is warning us about. But you see, soldiers practice strategies. They, they did things like bringing their shields together. They manipulated different barriers from the enemy at the same time protecting their own people. Church, we are in spiritual warfare, whether you want to recognize it or not. And we too have the option to bring our shields of faith together, manipulating barriers from the enemy, protecting one another in the process, and making us much stronger together than just sitting on the sidelines and not participating. And the shield of faith, Paul says, can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Verse 17, the helmet of salvation. The head and the heart were main targets in battle. In fact, they still are today. Since salvation is not something that we can merely put on and take off like a helmet, Paul then is speaking to the saved, not the unsaved. The helmet of salvation is not about obtaining salvation, but rather he's exploiting Satan's vicious methods of attacking our minds, our thoughts, our emotions. A commentary I have says to this particular verse, the fact that the helmet is related to salvation indicates that Satan's blows are directed at the believer's security and assurance in Christ. The two dangerous edges of Satan's spiritual sword are discouragement and doubt. To discourage us, he points to our failures, our sins, our unresolved problems, our poor health, or whatever else seems negative in our lives to make us lose confidence in the love and care of our Heavenly Father. Now, over the years, I've had several Christians confide in me that one of their biggest struggles is truly knowing if they are saved or not. And I believe that is the very spiritual warfare that Paul is, was warning the Ephesians about, and now by extension, we are being warned about as we are reading God's never-ending, never-changing, forever-lasting perfect love. The last thing in the armor of God is the, the, the word of the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. 
See, the sword, as Paul references here, is not one of those big swords that you might think about that go down the soldier's side. You see them put in the, that sheath. It's not one of those. That's not what he's talking about. He uses the word makira. That's my best pronunciation there. Uh, according to Strong's Concordance, it's defined as a short sword or a dagger, an instrument for exacting retribution. A typical sword of this style was anywhere between 6 to 20 inches long. See, the, the sword, both the, the big and the short one, they usually carried both, was the only weapon that the soldier took into battle. He used it offensively to protect against the enemy, and he used it defensively to fend off the enemy. Without his sword, the soldier had nothing to fight with. It, too, was essential. And Paul is making it super clear to us that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Hebrews uh, 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The sword, the word of God, is this holy Bible right here. It is the most powerful weapon you or I can ever possess. As the, the, as the sword was the only weapon a Roman soldier carried into earthly warfare, it is the only weapon that you and I need for our spiritual warfare. It is stronger, more powerful, will cut through and strike down the enemy that is Satan. I want to conclude bringing it back full circle here, uh, looking at verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, worldly forces of the darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Paul says, take up the whole or the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Are you doing everything? Now looking at verse 10, <laughs> we, we are to be strong, not in our own might. And I think we try to do this a lot. We try to figure out what we can do to be stronger. But he says, be strong in the Lord. You can only be strong in the might of the Lord. Paul is urging us to put on the, the whole armor of God, to sink into it. So that we are able to stand against the schemes and the wickedness of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but rather against the rulers, the authorities, worldly forces of darkness, and against spiritual forces of wickedness. I know there's a lot to unpack right there in that passage, and uh, I'm sure some of us will in our, our life groups and Bible studies, and I look forward to hearing what people's thoughts are on that. But I want to move into a, a visual that I have for us this morning, my lovely bride and, and her friend are going to bring a couple of things out for us. Okay. 
have a couple of things of water here. The water represents our world, okay? The rocks at the bottom represent sin. Now, I know sin doesn't just sit still like that, so use your imagination, okay? But what happens when I put this orange in the water? It's going to sink, right? It floats. Now I'm going to take this orange and I'm going to peel off its armor. I'm going to take the breastplate off. I'm going to take the the helmet off. I'm going to take its sword away. I'm going to take the shield away. I'm going to untuck its, its loins, if you will. What happens this orange now when it gets put in. Now ask yourselves, are my loins girded to the belt of truth? Is my heart protected in God's breastplate of righteousness? Am I prepared standing firm in the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings all peace? Is my shield of faith strapped to my arm, ready to go up? Is my helmet of salvation secure, or is it loose and wobbly? Am I carrying the sword of the Spirit? Do I know the Word of God to fend off the enemy? Am I wearing the full armor of God? Is, is the armor of God keeping me afloat or am I sinking in this world of sinfulness? Sinfulness. Now, if you struggle in any of these areas or all of these areas, I invite you to come and talk to myself, to any deacon, elder, or greeter. They'll have name tags on, and say, "Hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with with uh, the helmet of salvation. I'm struggling with the belt of truth. I'm I'm struggling with all of those things." Here are the things that I'm going through. I, how can I uh, get help with X, Y, Z? Find someone and ask them. Because again, we want everyone to leave here this morning in more awe of God, putting on his armor to keep us afloat, to walk in his truth, his life. We don't want people sinking, thinking they might have the armor or not having it at all. Okay? Please bow your heads. Father, there are people this morning who, who need your armor, who, who are struggling to find the armor, who have questions about your armor. Some people have a belt of truth hanging up in their closet, but they don't know how to, how to gird their loins with it. People have the, the sword that is your word, but they don't know how to use it. Some people have the helmet of salvation that you've gifted us freely, but in the enemy's attacks, they question it. Lord, it is my prayer this morning that you convict our hearts. Lord, that people don't leave here with questions and doubts 
but they walk out of the sanctuary seeking questions and answers that lead to your never-ending faithfulness, Lord. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.